Today's financial editor on 930 WFMD was recorded at an earlier date. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Got nothing better to do than throw rocks at things that shine. Well, you ought to be chasing your own dreams instead of shooting holes in mine. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can uh, grab it there. Thanks so, so much for being with us. Hope your weekend's going well. Really looking forward to um, our conversation this morning. A friend of the program's been on a few times before, Mr. Desmond Lockman. Um, he is with the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, prior to that, he was an economic strategist, uh, market strategist uh, at Solomon Smith Barney. Uh, he worked at the International Monetary Fund. He has uh, taught at Georgetown University, Johns Hopkins University, and uh, he himself um, uh, is is uh, very uh, advanced in educational degrees, getting his PhD in economics from Cambridge, among others. So uh, really glad to have Mr. Lockman back on the program. Mr. Lockman, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> Yes, sir. Thank you. So, you know, I was uh, mentioning earlier on the program um, about how I receive uh, emails uh, throughout the week uh, with your uh, writings and and have the privilege of reading them, which, by the way, uh, folks, you can get those, too, um, if you uh, go to American Enterprise Institute uh, to their website, AEI Alpha Echo India dot org. You can sign up for their free emails uh, as well as just enjoy uh, all of the free and in depth uh, content that's on the website. So, Mr. Lockman, one of the things that really caught my attention this week was uh, a piece you did. I think it was published in The Hill. Um, a troubled world economy points to global catastrophe. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of things grab your attention and I think warrant a little more discussion. Uh, if you would, just give us uh, your take on the current landscape uh, as far as geopolitics and, um, and and domestic politics and how it's impacting our financial world. Right. I, I should apologize for that title. Uh, you know, that wasn't my choice. It was the Hill's choice. Uh, catastrophe might be too strong a word, but certainly it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be rather troubled. Uh, And it's not simply the geopolitical situation. You know, we've now got this Israel-Hamas standoff, you know, that could spread to the rest of the region. If that's the case, you know, you'd get oil prices spiking. uh, And that would not be good for the global economy. It would send petrol prices higher. Inflation would go higher. The central banks wouldn't be able to reduce interest rates, so that would certainly tip us into recession. But leaving aside that, uh, what my concern is, is that we've got trouble in 
three major parts of the global economy at the same time. So we've got problems in the United States, uh, which I'll get to, uh, and we've got problems in China. You know, that's the second largest economy. They're in the middle of a property and credit market bust. You know, that's a big event in the global economy. It means that they're going to a very much slower growth path. They're going to have a lost decade like Japan. So that's not good for the global economy. And we've got Germany, you know, which is the largest country in Europe. That's already gone in recession. You know, they having to deal with an energy shock from Russia. So what we've got is a situation where we've got trouble in three of major parts of the global economy at the same time. And we've got geopolitical risk. So that leads me to think that we'd uh, go into recession early next year. Now, just a word on the United States. You know, what we've seen lately is we've seen the 10-year bond rates, uh, 10-year on the Treasury bonds spike, you know, that people are now being very, very concerned about the very bad state of the country's public finances. We're running an 8% of GDP budget deficit, you know, at the very time that the economy is got very low unemployment. You know, that's something we should have a low deficit when the economy is strong, but we've got a high deficit. So what the markets are doing is they're just not wanting to buy U.S. Treasury bonds because they don't think that the Treasury is going to be able to finance itself. So they send interest rates up from 4% to 5%. What that does is it sends the mortgage interest rates up. So we've now got mortgage rates at 8%, so people can't afford to buy houses. Similar kind of interest rate for automobile loans, they can't buy autos. And what the high interest rate also does is it creates problems in the banking system, you know, like we saw at the start of the year, Silicon Valley Bank and First National Bank, you know, the second and third largest bank failures in United States history, they failed because what happened is when the interest rates rise, bond prices fall, and these banks hold a huge amount of bonds, so they make big losses, and then the depositors get worried that uh, they're not going to get their money back, so money leaves the banks, and that causes all sort of stress. And just the last thing I'd say, um, you know, which is really a big deal, and I don't think it's getting enough attention, is we've got serious problems in with office space, you know, real commercial real estate. That what's occurred after COVID is people aren't going back to the offices in the way in which they did before. So these property developers have got a huge amount of vacancies. Uh, you know that it's said that in New York. Uh, the vacancies, the vacant office space is equivalent to 24 Empire State buildings. So they're going to have trouble repaying their loans next year. And that could cause additional stress in the financial system. So when I put it all together, uh, I don't see how we avoid a recession uh, next year. You know, whether that's a catastrophe, that's another matter. But it's certainly not going to be uh, a pleasant outlook.
Yeah, no, and um, and I appreciate uh, your oversight and also um, explaining to our listeners about how the Hill chose that, uh, you know, that headline for you. That's a shame because it's all of your work after that. So uh, I would have thought they would have ran that up the flagpole with you. But, you know, kind of going back to some of the things that you said, one, if you would, you know, we always and, and I, you know, I do daily business updates uh, on the radio. And of course, we always talk about the equity markets, about what the Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ did. Um, you were referencing the bond market with the 10-year Treasury, et cetera. Um, that's really what everybody's lives revolves around is the bond market because of the interest rate policy and all the other uh, the minutia that goes along with that. So if you can expand a little bit on how important the bond market is and maybe why people you know, should be a little concerned or even more than a little about what's going on in the bond market? Yeah, well, basically, the Treasury bond market, that is the bellwether for interest rates all around the world. So other interest rates get set off the Treasury rate. So if that interest rate goes up, what it does is it takes other interest rates up. So that's why one's got to be concerned. So if, just as an example, what occurred over the last two or three months is the Treasury bond rate, the 10-year yield on Treasury bonds, went up from 4% to 5%. What you saw immediately is that the mortgage rate, which was at 7%, went to 8%. So it took the interest rate up. The same thing you know, across the rest of the world is it drove interest rates up the rest of the world. So when the bond market is doing badly, in other words, interest rates going up and the bond prices going down, that has an effect on interest rates around the world, and that impacts uh, economic activity. So if we take, for example, the mortgage rate, uh, somebody who could say, have bought a house worth $300,000 at 7%, you know, he could finance himself, probably at uh, at 8%, he's only going to be able to buy a house of something like 240000 So it means there's reduced demand for housing, and that has an impact on the economy. So that's the one way that the interest rate is important. Another way, you know, just from the stock market investor is if you can get a government yield of uh, 5% instead of 4%, well, you're going to be more inclined, the average investor is going to be more inclined to want more of his money in the bond market and less of his money in the stock market. So that's the reason why, you know, when you're seeing the equity, uh, uh, when you're seeing the um, bond prices fall, in other words, the interest rates on treasury bonds going up, you see that that has a negative impact on the stock market as well. So this is a pretty key, uh, uh, this is a pretty key economic measure that if you see long bond rates going up, 
that's not good news for the economy. It's not good news for the stock market. Yeah, and, and also I know you touched on what happened back in the spring, you know, back in March with uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and um, and First Republic and Signature and, and others that, um, you know, basically uh, they were uh, caught with a lot of government securities on their balance sheet that had lost value and that was really uh, one of the precursors to driving them into failure, right? Correct. Well, you know, my concern is that even before the spike, latest spike in Treasury bond rates, it was estimated that the U.S. banking system had $620 billion in what's called mark-to-market losses on their bond portfolio. In other words, if they had to sell their bonds, they would be losing something like $600 billion. So that means that their balance sheets aren't strong. The interest rates have gone up. The bond prices have gone further down over the past uh, uh, couple of months. So it means that the losses, the unrealized losses that they're holding on their balance sheets are way north of $600 billion. On top of that, what we know is next year, the in the real commercial estate, those property developers have to roll over $500 billion of loans at high interest rates, yet they're not earning much money because the vacancy rates are so high. The occupancy rates are so low, means they're not getting the revenue that they could get. So it means that they're going to be defaulting on their loans. And that is a serious problem for the regional banks, which hold like 18% of their balance sheet is real commercial property loans. So they're going to get hit by high treasury rates, which are reducing their government bond portfolios. And then they're going to get hit by real commercial uh, uh, property. You know, those loans are going to go south. And when that happens, what occurs is that the banks become less willing to lend. So in addition to having high interest rates, you've got banks don't want to lend credit, and it means all these uh, middle-sized businesses that rely on the regional banks, they're not going to have credit. So their activity slows. So, you know, when you put it all together, as I said, it's difficult to see how we escape a recession. Yeah, no, I, I understand your argument uh, wholeheartedly. It, it makes a lot of sense the way you lay it out. So I want to um, uh, skip over to another article you wrote um, that is titled The Federal Reserve is Asleep at the Wheel, uh, your op-ed you did for the national interest. Uh, another really good piece. And by the way, folks, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking this morning uh, with Mr. Desmond Lockman uh, from the uh, uh, American Enterprise Institute. You can go to AEI.com. Org, that's alphaechoindia.org, and uh, sign up for the same um, you know emails uh, that I get every week and uh, follow Mr. Lockman and others um, with uh, just a really good work that many of them do at um, uh, AEI. So, uh, but anyway, you did the, that op-ed, the Federal Reserve is asleep at the wheel. This really ties in uh, quite nicely with, um, you know, the interest rate uh, uh, conversation that we've been having so far. What do you think the Fed's role is in all of this? Yeah, well, what the Fed should be doing is it should be anticipating that we can have real financial system stress 
And they didn't do that in 2007, you know, when we had the bursting of the housing bubble. They got caught asleep then, you know, that they were talking about wanting to raise interest rates when the right thing was to be reducing interest rates. And my feeling is that they're making a similar mistake now. They've jacked interest rates up by 525 basis points in a very short space of time. And the financial market stress that is about to hit us, that should is seems to me to be in plain sight. So the Fed should be anticipating that. Instead of which, what the Fed is doing is they're focusing on the data. Uh, they're behaving like a hedge fund. They're looking at each print of the data, you know, and that is influencing their policy. And they're forgetting that monetary policy. What it does is it operates with a long lag. So when you raise interest rates at the Federal Reserve, you shouldn't expect the impact on the economy to be instantaneous. So what my view is that the five, four percentage points that they've raised interest rates, that is still going to have its impact on the economy going forward. So we're going to see weakness going forward. So the Fed shouldn't be talking as they are right now about we need high interest rates for longer to slay this inflationary beast. You know, that that is not going to be the problem. The problem is going to be that we're going to get a financial system accident. We're going to have a recession. The Fed should be pausing now to see what the impact of its policies are and not being talking up uh, the markets. Something else that the Fed is doing is we've got a bond market that is in real trouble because the government is issuing too much debt. There aren't buyers on the debt. But the Fed, as part of its policy of monetary policy tightening, what they're doing is they're basically not rolling over something like $50 billion of treasuries each month. So what they're doing is they're adding to supply. You know, what we don't want to see is we don't want to see these long-term interest rates keep going up because that's really just going to crush the economy and it's going to cause problems in the banking sector. So I believe that this Fed has done a really bad job. I mean, they were fast asleep of the wheel on the inflation side. They allowed the money supply to increase by 40% between the beginning of 2020 and the end of 2021. And then they get surprised that we get a lot of inflation. Now what they're doing is... By their policy actions, they're allowing the money supply to contract at a rate that it hasn't contracted in the last 60 years. And they're going to be surprised when we get a recession. Yeah. So I, I would give the Fed uh, at best uh, a C, but I'd be doing that if I'm grading them on a curve. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind. Um, and, I, I, you know, again, I, I really appreciate you pointing out, you know, in that uh, article I mentioned, um, you, you know, just how, in fact, they've been negligent, in my opinion. I mean, I, I've, I, here's my thing. I've said it for years, uh, but especially the last couple years, if you have a target, an inflation target of two, and you get to three or three and a quarter or three and a half, I can find a solid third grader who, if I literally put it like, look, this is our target. Here's where we are. Do you think we need to do something? Just a little something to start to throw a blanket over this, you know, this increase. I guarantee I could have a third grader figure it out as opposed to it getting up to six, seven, eight, nine percent. And these people that supposedly are intelligent 
and and very educated using the word transitory. It's ridiculous. Right. No, no, I, I agree with you. You know, I think the Fed made a huge error on that side. They made a huge error with the housing market bubble in 2008, 2009, giving us the worst recession that we had in the post-war period. And I'm afraid that they're making a, another mistake uh, right now by being too hawkish. You know, it was fine for them to be hawkish at the beginning. But after you've raised interest rates at a pace that we haven't seen before, uh, you know, for them to still be on a very hawkish tone, um, I think that when we have a, another conversation in six or nine months' time, uh, it'll be seen to be as a very ill-advised sort of policy. And I totally agree with you because, as you pointed out, and I've always said, I don't. This isn't exact science, but I always understood that any type of increase or decrease that the Fed would have would take roughly six to nine months to truly and fully work its way through our system here and abroad. So, you know, like, uh, like you were pointing out, just they were so aggressive and, um, and I definitely think they overshot the mark. Our guest today, a uh, friend of the program, Mr. Desmond Lockman. Um, and he is, um, uh, at the American uh, enterprise Institute. That's where you can find all of his great work. We just talked about two of the pieces, uh, but there's even been more than he's put out, uh, since, um, I, I, uh, printed off those two. So Mr. Lockman, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule it was great talking to you again and as you just alluded to i look forward to you know six nine months or so from now uh getting back with you and seeing you know what proved to be correct and again what else is on the horizon terrific good to talk to you yes sir enjoy the rest of your weekend and thank you again i appreciate it because i know you're very busy and uh also thank you for uh that work that you do so that does it for us we're out of time folks up against a hard break and um Um, I will talk with you on the Morning News Express with uh, Bob and Chris, um, and uh, we do those live uh, uh, updates at 5.50 a.m., 6.50 a.m., and 7.50 a.m., and uh, then we'll be back here next weekend for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. So uh, have a great rest of your weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Fall in the air We've been waiting on it all damn year Drag out a car, heart, and a chair Let's build a fire Shoulder pads cracking on a high school field Opening days on our heels God, I love how Friday night feels Let's build a fire Let's build a fire Let's crank it on up Pour a little diesel in my cup And toss it on your better back up Let's build a fire Today's financial editor on 930 WFMD was recorded at an earlier date. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back.
back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. You can grab it there, uh, whether it's this uh, program or uh, one of our previous programs. Again, I uh, just want to say it. Uh, happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps and also happy Veterans Day uh, to all of our veterans. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you guys and uh, and gals and, and, and your families and friends and everybody that makes sacrifices uh, for you uh, making our lives uh, safe and and better. So thanks for that. So there's a lot of talk about recession, right? There has been for a while. Um, and um, a lot of data comes out and points toward a recession. Uh, for example, we've talked about this, obviously, for years. The uh, Federal Reserve was so far behind on gauging inflation, and then they had to play catch up. So they went from pretty much uh, a quarter of a percent as a Fed fund rate to five and a quarter to five and a half, kind of where we are right now. Um, So you saw this dramatic increase in uh, interest rates over a very short period of time because they were playing catch up. Now, what we have to remember is every change they make to monetary policy with interest rates in particular is it's going to take um, probably six to nine months to see how that is really going to impact our country and our economy and our financial markets um, and the bond market. You know, you fill in the blank. Um, So when you're doing it month after month and you're just cranking it up, you're, you're really, like I said, playing catch up. And you're flying by the seat of your pants. I mean, it just it. This has been just sickening to watch how this Federal Reserve um, has has handled this. But that's what they've done. That's where we are. Um, they're still not sure if inflation is going to be um, to their target of two percent in the near future. There's a lot of games we're going to talk about. Okay, here's the headline number for the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And then we're just going to look at the core. We're going to strip out um, food and energy. Well, how realistic is that? I don't know about you, but I eat and I need to get around. So I need energy resources that I use and pay for. And I need food that I use and pay for. But anyway, they'll talk about the core and then uh, uh, large part of the component of the CPI shelter. So rents are up. So then they'll say, okay, let's look at the core and strip out shelter or rents. And, you, you know, it's, it's a shell game. We live in the real world every day. We pay our rent. We pay our mortgage. We buy food. We buy gas and diesel you name it. That's the real world. So even though the Fed doesn't live in the real world, we do. And um, and you know, it's easy for them not to live in the real world. Some of them are, um, that have been appointed are narcissistic. They're just, they're so full of themselves and they think they're so important in the, the things that they say and do. Um, Jerome Powell, I mean, the guy's worth probably $50 million, if not more. He made his money in the private sector, right? He doesn't. I mean, he's so detached. All these people live in bubbles, echo chambers. So 
you know, the one I talked about earlier this year, and people like him, and I'm sure he's a nice guy, uh, I guess he is, Neil Kashkari from the Minneapolis uh, Federal Reserve, I actually pulled up a doc, uh, an article where he was quoted saying that he thought interest rates could stay near zero well into 2023. I mean, how wrong can you be? And you're making monetary policy? You said that a year and a half ago, two years ago, that you could keep zero interest rate policy to 2023 and we were already starting to see inflation. See, that's what I mean. It's not, you know, we're not bashing people. We're not picking on people. It's how well or how poorly are you doing your job? Transitory? Come on. Everybody knew that inflation was real. It wasn't going to be gone in two weeks or two months. But anyway, they're still looking for their 2% target. Doesn't look like it's going to be there anytime soon, again, unless you play the shell game and start saying, well, if we strip out uh, energy and food and shelter and whatever else they want to do. Um, And by the way, a lot of economists were right on board with these people at the Federal Reserve. Looking right into the camera or, you know, talking into the microphone in interviews, saying it was transitory. It's not as bad as you think. Telling us it's not the inflation is not as bad as you think it is. So, I, you know, they've lost all credibility, really. Um, but anyway, with those interest rates going up, we've started to see some of the data really downshift. Um, the The. Jobs report last Friday was a good example of that. Came up way short. Um, when you start really looking into it in more detail, like uh, many of the previous jobs reports, people are taking second and third jobs because they have to, not because they want to, and they're workaholics. It's because they have to to make ends meet. Or then we go back to, like I was talking uh, at the beginning of the program about um, people using credit cards. People getting hardship loans from their 401k. These are all real things for the American American worker. These are real for families. So the things that we hear and see on TV or on the radio or on the Internet or in some fish wrap newspaper, you really have to discount most of it, it seems like, these days. Because you look at the hard numbers and they're not good. So we started to see those um, issues in the payroll numbers. Um, Unfortunately, this Labor Department is back to the same old, same old. This is just an extension of um, this administration of Obama. I mean, a lot of his people are making the, the moves behind the curtain. But you're seeing these constant revisions and they're negative coming from the Labor Department week after week with initial jobless claims. So it's smoke and mirrors tell you something like, oh, okay, I see that number. Then you look in the next week. Oh, we were wrong. There was two or three thousand more people applied for initial jobless claims, you know, thinking that because that news is so old, nobody is going to pay attention to it. And you know what? Most people don't. But I'm the guy that does. And I like to share it with you so you know what's going on. Um, And, you know, I mentioned the consumers getting stretched. Um U.S. savings depleted for the bottom 80% of households is uh, is in, in, it's rapid. I mean, we see it. Um, 
constantly, again, that people wipe out their savings and are going to the credit card thing. So that's, you know, that's part of the issues that we're seeing and the concerns with the recession. And then one of the reports we talk about is uh, the leading economic index. So the LEI, and that's known as an early indication um, of which way the economy is going to go over the next uh, three to six months, six months in particular. So the leading economic uh, index is uh, minus 4.3, I think, right now. Um, It's right in that area. Um, It's negative. And these are forward-looking components of uh, consumer expectations for business conditions, the ISM index for new orders, building permits, average weekly hours, manufacturing uh, new orders, um, and that's broken out into non-defense and, and, and aircraft, etc. But, you know, you look at these numbers – and and when you have the especially the minus like we've been seeing uh, month after month, um, it, it's a real concern because that it has been in the past historically has been a um, a precursor to a recession. So that along with the inverted yield curve that we've been and I'm not going to get too wonky, but you know that we've seen. Um, the last year in particular, you know, and some other things, that's why people are really worried about a recession. And by the way, recessions are normal. I mean, we have them. It's part of the cycle. Um, I think this one is uh, self-induced, unfortunately, because of the just horrific policy um, that, uh, you know, that's been forced on uh, Americans. But, you know, we would have to deal with it if we see this recession, um, whether it's the beginning of 2024 or into 2024, um, then the question is, you know, how long and how deep? So you've probably heard the term soft landing, that the Federal Reserve has been cranking up interest rates, but they don't want to overdo it because that could drive us into a crater as far as a really, really tough recession. So they're looking for that almost the perfect parge that Goldilocks is going to say, okay, yeah, this is this is just right. And, you know, we'll have that soft landing after they've cranked these rates up like they have. Uh, and then, of course, if the economic data were con- to continue to worsen, um, then you're going to have the questions, and they're already out there. When does the Federal Reserve start cutting interest rates to take their boot off the throat of uh, of Americans and and American uh, business owners? So that that comes into play as well. Not only if when if we have a recession, but um, if we do, how long and how deep will it be? You know, we've had some real severe recessions like we did during the financial and housing crisis back in 2000 to 2009. Um, It was it was tough, really tough. 
Um, you know, and you saw the leading economic index giving you a precursor to what um, what might be coming. And we've been talking about the leading economic indicators, and it hasn't been good news. So that's something that we'll watch as well. And then uh, it gets back to um, how long, how deep, how severe is, um, is a recession going to be if, in fact, we have one. So we'll stay on top of that like we always do and let you know um, what the data looks like. And, uh, and help you better understand and navigate the waters. So the other thing that's been really uh, talked about um, this last year in particular, I mean, it's been uh, being cranked up for kind of year after year. Actually, it was probably 12 years ago, I'm guessing, that I did a, an interview on IBM with, uh, they were you know doing the supercomputer, the Watson thing. And I remember talking to two uh, very nice ladies about that. I, I interviewed them uh, when I was up in New York on business in Manhattan. And, um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the, the general public talking about supercomputers or artificial intelligence. And that's just been ramping up um, constantly uh, over the years. And what we're seeing is all that talk about artificial intelligence is um, some of these companies are really making strides in that area. And actually, if you look at the S&P 500 index for this year, it hasn't been an S&P 500 good year. It's been an AI good year. Because those stocks that are in the S&P 500 that have been on a roll with AI are really the ones that are pushing the index overall to a higher level. So, um, you know, you think of your Microsofts and others. I mean, if you take out the AI companies that have been really doing most of the rallying, um, it's, it's fairly flat. So you've got you know, a couple handful of, uh, of companies that are by far leading the entire S and P 500. So you've got 500 companies, but like I said, you've got, you know, one or two handfuls in particular of stocks that are responsible for the overall gain of that index. So, you know, that, is it real? Right. The artificial intelligence. Is it real? Is it hype? Um, When you have companies, you know, some of these very, very big, well-established companies that already have, like I mentioned, Microsoft, you know, with the cloud and and things of that nature. um, And they're expanding on their AI, their artificial intelligence. It bodes a good argument that, you know. It, it's going to be a serious player. How big the space is, you know, that's questionable. And a lot of times the, the, the company or the product is based on its usage. And I'll just give you an example of how that usage, uh, one way that it's measured. So they call it race to 1 million users. So, Twitter, now X, 
It took them two years to get one million users. Uh, Facebook, it took Facebook 10 months to get one million users. Uh, Spotify, the, um, the digital uh, music company, um, it took Spotify five months, just five months to get one million users. Now, I don't know if you've heard, you probably have, of chat GPT. Artificial intelligence, you can, you know, you've probably heard you can go on and ask a question, whether, whatever your question is, they're going to give you an answer. You can go on and ask them to write you a paragraph on a on a subject. You can um, apparently go on and ask them to write a, a sequel to a book that's already been written, um, to write a, a musical play, whatever. It has those types of uh, capabilities. Um, chat GDP, the race to 1 million users, they were there in five days. So again, I'll go back. Twitter, it took them two years. Facebook, it took them 10 months. Spotify, it took them five months. Chat GTP had 1 million users in five days to utilize that artificial intelligence. So when you're looking at it from that standpoint, there is a strong argument uh, for artificial intelligence going forward. I've heard really good things. I've heard horror stories. Uh, the dangerous side of this is they're talking about and actually uh, working on uh, brain chip implants, not for the paraplegic or people that really need it, but literally just for people. <laughs> and you get into that transhumanism stuff, man, and it's not good. It's uh, it's scary. So we'll see how it plays out. And one caution I'd like to give you when it comes to artificial intelligence, always remember that it's biased. Just like it is with Google and, and other technology if you are a conservative Christian in particular, the things that you ask about, you'll see, are pushed to the bottom of the rung. And when you ask, you know, chat GPT a question, especially when it comes to the... Uh, you know, the the Christian religions and backgrounds and things, be careful what you believe. Be very careful because they're biased. They have been, just like I said, Google is with search engines and others, and uh, they're not going to be any different. All right, that does it for us. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, I'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with Bob and Chris. Uh, we talk live at 5.56.57.50 a.m. every weekday morning. We'll be back here uh, for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program next weekend. As I mentioned at the top of the program, um, joining me um, in a couple weeks uh, is uh, Dr. Ben Carson. He's going to join us again for our 26-year uh, anniversary. Hey, uh, happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Thank you guys for everything. 
And um, also, happy Veterans Day to all the veterans. Thank you, your families, your loved ones, your friends, uh, all those that sacrifice along with you to uh, to keep us safe. Um, we uh, we really, really appreciate it. Can't say thank you enough. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Two days past 18, he was waiting on a bus in his army green, sat down in a booth. The cafe there gave his order to a girl with a bow in her hair. He's a little shy, so she gave him a smile. He said, would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me? Feeling pretty low.